The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Rattled and Shook is released weekly, every Thursday, and brought to you absolutely free. But if you want to listen ad-free, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get exclusive bonus episodes. For more information, check out the show notes. Now, enjoy the episode. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. I'm April. And I'm Meredith. And this is Rattled and Shook, a podcast where we tune into scary stories and discuss our deepest, darkest fears, but in a fun way. Um, We're here to say really insightful things about the stories today and bring our expertise. <laughs> our PhDs in ghosts are going to come in real handy in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I have a master's in Glitch in the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> Just looking at all the categories for our stories. Yeah, I'm a professor of haunted locations. <laughs> My thesis on weird events. <laughs> I would read that. We're saying all this because I think there was like one comment we saw that that our expertise doesn't line up. Mm. And we were kind of like, <laughs> what expertise? Mm -hmm. So I guess we agree <laughs> with you, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> no more. No more fooling around. Yeah. From now on, this is all business. <laughs> we're never going to laugh again. No light takes. I'm going to put on my monocle and... Uh... And you'll get your pipe, and we'll we're, we're gonna speak smart about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you ready? Oh yeah. Well, let's tune in. Class has begun. When I was twelve years old, my family and I lived in an old apartment complex. One particular thing that stuck out to me is that there was a strict no pets policy. The landlord actually elaborated on this, stating that a copious number of pets seemed to go missing around the area, and they now restrict pets in hopes that it would end that problem there. As a child, I kept pretty much to myself. As for my brothers, who are two to three years older than me, they spoke and played with every kid that lived in the apartments and the surrounding area. Every day after school, they'd beg our mother for some change so they could visit the candy lady. She was a local resident in the apartments who held a mini-mart in her unit. Basically, she'd buy snacks in bulk, ranging from gummy snacks to chips, so she could resell to the neighborhood kids. 
I'd never been at that point, but was of course curious. I'd asked my brothers if I could join them, and they said no. So, I know this is bad, but I stole a dollar from my mom's purse and followed my brothers and their friends so I could find out where she lived. Upon stalking them, I finally found out her apartment location. Though they stayed inside for a while, I figured I'd just go the next day. The next day, after school, I took my stolen dollar and headed out to the candy lady's apartment. When she opened the door, she was an older lady with a welcoming demeanor. She let me in and asked for my name. I gave it to her and I asked for hers. She said to just call her the candy lady. She seemed sweet and thoughtful, asking me about school and if I lived in the area. Kids don't usually come here alone. Where are your friends, she asked me. I explained that I don't really have any and that I prefer to just observe. She seemed to sympathize with me because she then told me I could take anything I wanted, free of charge. As a child, I indulged taking as much as I could carry. While thanking her on my way out, she said to me, Come back anytime, my friend. I felt pretty jolly at that point. One, I got free snacks. Two, I actually made a friend. When I got home, I hid my snacks in my drawer, returned my mother's stolen dollar, and felt great overall. That is until I went back. I returned maybe three to four days after the first time. When I knocked, she answered the door frantically. I kind of got scared, so I told her I could just come back later. After realizing it was me, she told me no worries and insisted that I come in. When I did, she asked if I came back for some more free snacks. I gleefully told her yes, but she said that the first time was a kind gesture. But from now on, I'd have to help her with a few things to earn my free snacks. I was used to working for things, so I agreed. It was simple enough. Just throw out her trash for her. I figured she was old and probably couldn't go outside much. Weird thing was, she had me take her garbage out to the dumpsters in the apartments next door. Fast forward to a month later, it had become our regular schedule. After school, I'd do my homework, then head over to her place to throw out her garbage, as well as to collect my earnings. It was all easy breezy for a while. That is, until one day, when she didn't tie the trash bag all the way. I took the bag and I walked down to the dumpsters next door, but before I threw it in, I decided I'd tie it properly first. It was loose, so I had to untie it to fix it all the way. Curious little me couldn't help but look inside. There... I saw wadded up paper towels drenched in blood and hair. There were also more black plastic bags at the bottom of the bag. This freaked me out so much that I just dropped the bag right then and there and booked it home. As soon as I got home, I cried to my mother about my discovery. She said she'd go out and see it for herself. When she returned, she said she didn't see what was inside the bag because the candy lady was already there throwing it out when she arrived. My mother didn't say a word to her and just left. She told me she didn't want me going out that far anymore and she instructed me to stop helping with other people's chores. Surprisingly, I was able to just forget, or more like ignore, the whole thing and go about my kid life like nothing happened. But then, one day, my brothers came rushing back home. They anxiously explained to my mom, who is as nosy as ever regarding neighbors, that the candy lady was taken away by the police. My brothers were bummed out because of their inevitable lack of snacks. As a child in this point in time, I didn't really understand police and all that, so I was pretty much clueless about what happened. About a month ago, I had dinner with my mom. I am now 22 years old, by the way. 
My mother and I got to reminiscing and we started talking about those old apartments. After discussing how old and broken down they were, I asked her if she remembered what I told her I saw by the dumpsters. At first, she didn't. Then I mentioned the candy lady and how she was arrested by the police. The shock of realization hit her. My mom said she remembered, and that she actually asked the landlord about it shortly after the candy lady was taken away. Apparently, the landlord told her that the candy lady was actually killing and skinning animals she found nearby. So she's the reason why pets weren't allowed. She was fucking killing them and doing God knows what with the fur. And I'm the dumbass little kid who got rid of the evidence for her. And for those of you wondering, the management of the apartments next to ours, the one with the dumpsters used to dispose of the evidence, caught wind of the smell reeking from the dumpsters. And from there, they were able to catch the candy lady. All I know is I'm glad I never went back once I realized what was in the bags of trash that she had me take out multiple times. P.S. If you're the candy lady hearing this, I refuse to believe that you are my first friend. That's messed up. Yeah. This story almost feels like a twisted fairy tale. Yeah, it's really Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. Hansel and Gretel vibes. Yeah. Shout out to this kid who says they prefer <laughs> to just observe. Yeah. <laughs> We're your friends. Uh, I just like to watch. <laughs> this story made me think of something I hadn't thought about in a long time from my childhood, which was that there was a teacher at my like lower school from kindergarten through like fifth grade. Mm -hmm. She had a skirt. She was known for it. Like we'd wait all year for the skirt. She had quilted it or whatever, sewn it herself, and it had pockets over the entire skirt. Then it kind of billowed outwards. It was like a big skirt. And then there's all these pockets. And she would put things in the pockets. And like as a kid, you would get to pick something from her pocket. And it was so <laughs> exciting. It's still a little creepy, but delightful. It is kind of like this little haunted, whimsical fairy tale in my in my head. She sounds far superior to this candy lady. Yeah, and I don't like what the candy lady was doing, but um, I guess you're not supposed to like the witch mm -hmm. in the stories. You know what? I, I identify with the witch. <laughs> okay, I think you're going to need to elaborate on that. <laughs> I don't think that's going to fly. Not, not in the skinning of animals. That's awful. Yeah. What's in the trash? Not okay. Uh-uh. Sickening. Yeah. I think, you know, you grow up and you look at the witches in fairy tales or Disney movies and you start to think, oh, I get where they're coming from, you know? No, I I, I, I can see you as a Disney Disney movie witch in the nicest way. I, I yeah. mean that. If I were a candy lady, I would deal in Smarties. Why? I don't know. It seems like a classic candy lady move. Oh, so you, you have know? like all that old school candy. <laughs> I'd have caramels. Like Werther's Originals? Yes. I would deal in uh, Luden's cough drops. <laughs> I'm going to get you a patchwork skirt, a little pocket skirt, so you can fulfill your destiny as the lady that gives away something. Let, let's, <laughs> let's brainstorm on that. I, I want like a more uh, badass version of the pocket skirt. It could be leather. Okay. Say no more. I like it. You can put studs on it. That's nice. There's like chains between the pockets too, you know? Okay, I can get on board with that. Maybe a little flannel in there. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll flannel line it. Flannel lined. Wow, it's going to be hot. <laughs> this is a hot skirt. <laughs> this is a steamy skirt. Now, a word from our sponsors. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Okay, let's play another story. I'm going to put on my tweed blazer and I'll let you know what I think on the other side. I live in an area where there are a lot of covered bridges that have been around for a hundred, if not more years. They are kept up by the townships that they reside in. My girlfriend at the time had a car and we were both into horror movies and ghosts and all that. We had a few friends with similar interests and we would always talk about going to the local abandoned asylums, hospitals, and burned down schools, but we never did. We did, however, go to the Crybaby Bridge that was only about 10 minutes from my girlfriend's house. So my girlfriend and our two friends get into her car and we drive out to the bridge. The story goes that the crybaby bridges are a place where a psychotic mother would take her kids to drown them in the creek that runs under the bridge. Oftentimes, she would then take her own life. There are crybaby bridges all over the country and variations on the story, but we were bored and figured it would be a good way to pass the time. According to the story, in order to get the mother and kids to interact with the car or the people inside, you have to park in the middle of the bridge and turn your car off, with the windows up and doors locked. So, we go and park the car on the bridge, but keep seeing cars coming toward the bridge. Each time, we would start the car back up and pull off, then turn around and park back in the middle of the bridge. Eventually, we get the car parked without disruption and sat there, still, 
for a few minutes. After some time goes by, we begin joking and saying how dumb it was to be there. My girlfriend decides to turn the car back on. As soon as her hand touched the key, we all froze. It sounded like someone was running across the roof of the covered bridge, meaning someone running on top of it. The car is silent. We're all just sitting there, looking out into the darkness surrounding the car. Suddenly, the windows start to fog up, but not the fog you get when a bunch of people are breathing inside a car. The fog starts uniformly forming around the frames of the window. The same pattern on each window at the same time. We're all sitting there, geeking out a little and looking around wildly. My girlfriend looks up and says, oh shit. We realize that there's a car coming towards us, so she turns her car on and we drive off. We put the windows down, the fog dissipates, and we all start mellowing out. We spend the ride home nervously attempting to laugh the situation off. When we get to my girlfriend's house, we get out of the car and start walking back towards her house. Except for my one buddy, that is. When we walked around the back of the car, he stopped, dead in his tracks. Staring at the back of the car, he calls us all over. Guys, come look at this now. We ran back to him and looked down at the back of my girlfriend's car. All over the back window, trunk, and bumper are little handprints. It looked as if a child had come and pressed their hands up against the back of the car. But those marks usually only last for a few seconds or only visible under certain light. These prints stayed on her car for the next couple of days. We tried washing the handprints off, but they were unchanged. Eventually, the handprints disappeared on their own. So this is definitely creepy, but when he was describing the fogging of the windows, I was like, this sounds like hotboxing. <laughs> you guys got high on this bridge. That's the story. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but I think there's a real possibility. <laughs> you know, I feel like I've heard a story like this and didn't realize it was something that is told in a lot of places. Like it's more like it's an urban myth than actually tied to any one bridge. It's a very common ghost story. It's just one of those tropes, like a mother who murders her children. She's either vengeful or she's sorrowful or whatever. Yeah. I think that could also relate to like women in white stories, like La Llorona. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a popular one. A Mexican vengeful ghost who is said to roam near bodies of water, mourning her children whom she drowned in a jealous rage after discovering her husband was cheating on her. Yeah, there's a lot more creepy mothers than there are creepy fathers, I will say, in horror stuff. Yeah, that twist on the traditional, you, they're supposed to be nurturing, they're supposed to take care of you. It's supposed to be a sweet and loving relationship. Yeah. This is interesting. Um, the Crybaby Bridge stories, I'm reading that there's a Maryland folklorist, Jesse Glass, who presented a case against several crybaby bridge stories being genuine folklore and saying that they're actually fake lore. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like propagated through the internet. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, things like Reddit probably Perpetuate. inspired people to just start 
telling those stories at random bridges. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever go exploring any creepy places when you were younger? There was there was an abandoned theme park really near New Orleans Ooh. that, you know, didn't make it past Katrina. Yeah. And I always told myself I wanted to go, but it was definitely a place that people would try to go and then sometimes be kicked mm-hmm. out. It was kind of known for that. It was called Jazzland. It's kind of enticingly creepy. Yeah. Would not want to be there at night. I wouldn't mind trying that. I used to just look up pictures of abandoned places. There's an article here of 54 abandoned places in California. Donner Pass Summit Tunnels. Those are abandoned. Oh, wow. That looks so creepy. Send me the link, but also don't get any ideas. from more sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here's our next story. This happened back in the spring of 2013. At the time, my family of four was living in the Bay Area of California. We would occasionally take little weekend getaways to Lake Tahoe for adventures in the snow or out on the lake. On this particular trip, we decided to go with another family who were about two hours behind us on the road. So when we got to our hotel, we had a few hours to kill. Close by was the Donner Family Memorial, which is now called the Immigrant Trail Museum. After being in the car for about five hours, we were happy to be outside and let our kids, ages two and four, run off some energy. So. I'm a bit of a history nerd and was pleasantly surprised to stumble upon this memorial site. Growing up in Virginia, we didn't learn much about the Donner Party, but I had heard of the California Gold Rush and, of course, died of dysentery playing an Oregon Trail in school. My husband, having grown up in California, was a little less excited for a history lesson. So, after admiring the 22-foot-tall memorial as a family, my hubby took off around the half-mile trail with my kids, while I took my time reading every plaque and taking in all the gold nuggets of information. When I got to one plaque in particular, there were two lists of names, survivors, and those who succumbed to the horrific conditions. I should mention that my kids were little at the time, and there's no way they could read. And even if they could, they were not tall enough to read this particular plaque. As I was taking in every name, one in particular stood out to me. I can't tell you why, but I spent a few extra seconds taking in this name before moving on to the others. The name was also unique, Bayless Williams. After finishing, I ran about a hundred yards to catch up with my husband and kids. Upon my arrival, 
my four-year-old looked at me, pointed, and as clear as day said, Mommy, Bayless died over there. Every single hair stood up on my neck. I got goosebumps. My eyes watered, and I said, What did you say? My son repeated, Bayless died over there on Rock Mountain. He pointed to a grassy clearing on the trail that was sprinkled with large boulders. I looked at my husband like I had seen a ghost, and he immediately asked what was wrong. I told him about the plaque I had just read and how there's no way our son Tristan could have known that name. As soon as we got back to the hotel, I googled the name Bayless Williams and found out that he was a young servant for the Donner family and was the first to die. I asked, but my son couldn't tell me any more information about him. I truly cannot explain this. That story freaks me out. (sighs) This is what happens when you have kids. You're just like constantly at risk for these creepy moments to happen to you yeah because kids are weird man kids are freaky that's so funny i can see that being a really firm belief of yours mm-hmm. i don't i don't want to have kids because i don't want to leave myself vulnerable to unsolicited facts about the donner party <laughs> i don't want to hear them from my children well thank you i remember staying up really late one night i think it was actually covid year mm-hmm. like 2020 Just like reading everything I could about the Donner Party. (laughs) Oh, man. Great way to de-stress during COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Good job, me. I was making mojitos and scones. Yeah, some people (laughs) baked bread and I I thought about the logistics of who would have to eat who first. (laughs) Politics of cannibalism. So the Donner Party were a group of people who traveled to California, you know, in covered wagon. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they took what they thought was like a shortcut off of some hacks advice and ended up getting stuck along the trail during winter and things got grisly. I'm on Wikipedia right now and it says Bayless Williams died more from malnutrition than starvation. Mm-hmm. Probably because it was so early on. I- I've never thought about the distinction between dying of malnourishment and dying of starvation. I don't, yeah, I wonder if the line was pretty blurred there. So there's something I learned about this recently, and it was one of the survivors, I think he was like the last guy standing, because, you know, they had multiple relief parties kind of shuttling people, and, um, you know, every time they came back, obviously there were less people. The last time they come back, there's just one guy left, and basically, you know, he survived by eating everybody else so when they came upon him he was like you know sucking on a femur good god was he really uh i don't think specifically that but i think it was like a buffet situation oh god who's that guy let's see okay yeah there's a whole section on this wikipedia memories and rumors of cannibalism that is a horrifying section title is that what this episode should be called memories and rumors of cannibalism of cannibalism. <laughs> I know we're laughing, but I'm laughing in the kind of way that should let you know that I'm I'm uncomfortable and I'm I'm sad. I know, <laughs> but I can't not read. 
Everything about it. Yeah. On February 18th, the seven-man rescue party scaled Fremont Pass, now Donner Pass. They began to shout. A haggard Miss Murphy appeared from a hole in the snow, stared at them, and asked, are you men from California or do you come from heaven? (laughs) That sounds like she was hitting on them. (laughs) Virginia Reed wrote, I guess she was one of the travelers that was rescued. Mm -hmm. I really thought I had stepped over into paradise. She was amused to note one of the young men asked her to marry him, although she was only 13 years old and recovering from starvation, but she turned him down. (laughs) That's that not many people would uh, be able to have sense or be in their right mind about that at that point. Yeah, I'm more concerned about the young man that asked a 13 year old that was almost dying from starvation to marry him. Uh, uh, Sadly, I was not surprised by that. Okay, yeah, so then there was a second relief and then the third relief. I think that's the one you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So they organized a salvage party to recover what they could of the Donner's belongings. The salvage party found the Alder Creek tents empty except for the body of George Donner, who had died only days earlier. On their way back to Truckee Lake, they found Louis Kiesberg alive. Oh, there he is. According to him, Mrs. Murphy had died a week after the departure of the third relief. Some weeks later, Tamsin Donner had arrived at his cabin on her way over the pass. Soaked and visibly upset, Kiesberg said he put a blanket around her, told her to start out and told her to start out in the morning, but she died during the night. Sure, Kiesberg. Yeah. The salvage party was suspicious of Kiesberg's story and found a pot full of human flesh in the cabin along with George Donner's pistols, jewelry, and $250 in gold. I'm afraid we need to stop recording now because I need to read the entire Wikipedia page. (laughs) Hey. Hey. I'm so excited by how many people are afraid of pool sharks. Not not people that are not pool sharks like people that are really good at (laughs) the game pool and hustle people for money. I mean like (laughs) sharks that exist in swimming pools. Yeah. A lot of people feel seen. I feel seen. Yeah. Well, I love how seen we all feel. <laughs> okay, so here's another irrational fear that I feel like kind of goes along with my fear of sharks. And it's one that I keep seeing. Like, we got we got a lot of people writing this in. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with this first one. Sandwich Tiger says, <laughs> Irrational fear. Large submerged items. Tanks, statues, boats, anything with wires and tubing. Or like underwater cities. Skull emoji. Yeah. And then Shellshock replied to Sandwich Tiger and said, Oh my God, me too. There's a name for that, but I forgot. Man-made things underwater. And then Sandwich Tiger responded to Shellshock <laughs> and said, Submechanophobia. And then Flower Pop, I think that's what it is, F-L-W-R dot pop, wrote, Waking up in any type of water, especially if there's waves and I can't register not being able to breathe properly. Also, big items submerged in water, like underwater minefields or sunken boats. And then Kathleen Marin wrote, I am terrified, and I mean terrified, of things in the water that shouldn't be in the water. I grew up near the river as a kid and have a very distinct memory of seeing a broom float by as I was wading in the water and I absolutely lost my mind. (laughs) Jumped into my dad's arms, refused to touch the water again. I'd also like to note that I'm fine with items in clear bodies of water, pools, fish tanks, tropical waters, but things like rivers, lakes, oceans, etc. Um, 
Nauseated emoji, nauseated emoji, nauseated emoji. Ooh. Yes, brackish. Yeah. I love saying brackish water, and also it scares me. A lot of people have this. Yeah. If you search submechanophobia, and if you look at pictures, I definitely can see how people have this because it does give me, it gives me the creeps. Yeah. Man, I might have a little bit of this because these are, I'm not, I don't want to puke, but I feel physically repulsed. I am leaning away from my computer. Yeah. These images are all very creepy. I feel like that's natural to kind of have like a revulsion looking at that. Just to see these things that should not be underwater gathering algae and looking aged and decrepit and abandoned. Yeah, for sure. And I think that there's also the kind of like things sort of look dead when they're like suspended in water, just kind of floating. Mm -hmm. It looks ghostly. Yeah. So on a related note, I, I love the ocean, but I have a fear of getting into large bodies of water and not being able to see what's beneath me. Because I just imagine like a big megalodon behemoth monstrous creature swimming underneath me and hundred percent pulling me down or swallowing me. I'm afraid. I I I love oceans and I love lots of things to do with it. Like yeah. I truly do. I like being around it, but I am afraid of being in open water. Yeah, I think that's very common. Pretty common. Yeah. Thalassophobia. Interesting. Fear of the sea or of sea travel. It's not quite it, but maybe a uh, ocean sea or large lakes. Good stuff. We really mm-hmm. covered some ground here. Covered a lot of fears. We really freaked ourselves out today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, keep those coming. We're we're enjoying commiserating with everyone. Share your fear. Get a new one. Yep. Release and then receive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, yoga teacher April. <laughs> Okay, bye. Bye, y'all. Rattled and Shook is a Tenderfoot TV production in partnership with Odyssey. Executive producers are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Co-executive producer is Meredith Stedman. Hosted and produced by April Ruha and Meredith Stedman. Lead editor and sound designer is April Ruha. Additional production by Sean Nerney. Production management by Tracy Kaplan and Jordan Foxworthy. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Original art by Puppy Teeth. Follow us on social media at Rattled and Shook. know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University, Maryland's Forensic Science Department. 
Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University, Maryland's forensic science programs today.